Hey there, thoughtful listener. Would you like consistent and predictable sales activity with no spam and no ads? I'll teach you step by step how to do this, particularly if you're an agency owner, consultant, coach, or B2B service provider. What I teach has worked for me for more than 15 years and has helped me create more than $10 million in revenue. Just head to upmyinfluence.com and watch my free class on how to create endless high-ticket sales appointments. You can even chat with me live and I'll see and reply to your messages. Also, don't forget, the Thoughtful Entrepreneur is always looking for guests. Go to upmyinfluence.com and click on podcast. We'd love to have you. With us right now, Julie Lasso. Julie, you are the founder and principal of JHL Solutions. You're found on the web at jhl-solutions.com. Julie, thank you for joining us. Josh, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. You have a long and storied background in retail leadership, uh, which today now as a consultant or as, uh, well, what would you say, consultant service provider? I mean- um, Yeah, primarily a consultant. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. So uh, share with us what you do in um, kind kind of retail consulting. What I do in retail consulting is I help retailers build amazing partnerships with their suppliers so they can bring amazing products to their shelves, whether they're virtual or physical. I do a lot of work in the private label or the own brand space. So where retailers can really develop unique products that they can't find anywhere else in the market, but they often need really great supplier partners to do that. And I help them do that effectively. What is the uh, downside of, uh, explain to me from someone on the outside, I've never been in retail, um, and why is it important to have really great um, systems, relationships on the supplier side? I love that question, and I spend a lot of time answering it, so I'm happy to talk about (laughs) it with you today. Uh, Retailers are in a, a really unique place that they can build out the businesses that they want, They offer a unique and compelling value proposition, we like to say, to their consumers. So if you shop at Target, there's a reason for that. If you shop at REI, there's a reason for that. And a lot of that comes down to the assortment that they curate, what they they make available, what the quality of that product is and what the price is. And so it's incredibly important for these suppliers, especially if they're making their own products, to have Mm. just the right partners that make that product. Like that REI tent needs to perform exactly how REI wants it to, or they're going to disappoint their customers. So it's important for them to have a really fantastic relationship with the supplier or the suppliers that make those tents, that those the suppliers understand the, the technical aspects of it, that they're able to make it for a cost that allows REI to position in the marketplace for a retail that their customers will find compelling. And you can just imagine how that scales across an entire store. And even in products that aren't private label or own brands. So think a national brand product or a consumer product good like Doritos or Pepsi. You would also be able to negotiate uh, with those suppliers to make sure you've got really great promotional offerings. So you can, you know that you can always come to Walmart, for example, to get the best deals on soda this week and this week. So those are all the types of things that I think retailers need to work well with their suppliers to understand. And then how that comes about looks and feels a little different for all retailers and different types of suppliers. So that's really where the 
the magic is in the, the details and those, those partnership conversations. Yeah. Um, help me out with a little insider baseball. Cause I've, I've, yeah. I've really been curious about like when I go to, let's say I go to a retailer and they've got mm-hmm. a sale on something. Is that typically yeah. a partnership between the supplier and the retailer to uh, create that sale or is, how does that typically work? Excellent question. If it's a consumer product, a good. So if it's a brand that you can buy at a variety of different retailers, often there is an agreement between the retailer and the supplier of what that product is going to be offered for and what the retailers are. Now there is a, a regulation around that. So there's, there can't be collusion where there's agreements about what certain prices can be and whatnot. But huh. what often will happen is in a consumer space or the consumer goods space, that brand manager will be able to say, we can offer you X amount of dollars for this type of promotional event. And then you'll also see a partnership between that supplier and retailer to make sure that they have enough inventory so that end cap right. or with the shelf is full of that product. So you don't have a disappointed consumer who's coming in expecting to get a product for XYZ or order it online. Uh, so again, the virtual or the, the physical shelves. Uh, but yes, so it's the agreement both on the price and then often the quantity to yeah. ensure that they can deliver uh, on expectations from their consumers. So the conversation might sound something like, Hey, uh, you know, uh, August is coming up and that would be a perfect month back to school. You know, let's really plan on, you know, maybe we'll do some in-store promotion. Um, you're going to hook us up. We're going to buy maybe some larger quantities. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to give us, a di- correct me where I'm wrong here. You're going to give us some discounts on the, you know, if we buy a volume play and let's move some product together. Yes, that's that's a lot of the way that the conversation comes together for those consumer goods. If it's something that the the retailer has developed themselves, so like a Trader Joe's, for example, there's very few national brands in Trader Joe's. They own almost yeah, all of right. those brands internally. They get to pretty much decide what those promotional uh, programs are and the units and buys. And often they will have negotiated with their suppliers to have just the basic best price day in, day out. And there isn't additional funding that's provided for that. So Trader Joe's is then really in charge of thinking through what's the right promotional strategy and how do I need to support it from an inventory perspective? And they can collude on the price with with themselves. (laughs) Exactly right. They have that autonomy and they get to decide how they want to compete or who their competitors are very sincerely. Uh, Who who do they, they think they need to benchmark or that their consumers importantly will benchmark. Yeah. Not um, it, and then full disclaimer, I don't work on the Trader Joe's account. So this is you're okay, great. <laughs> inside outside baseball. Yeah, but so one brand that you did work with for quite a while. Do you do you mind sharing a little bit about your background and, and why it's empowered you with superpowers that are very valuable? I'd be happy to share. So you're referencing the fact that I started my career at Target Corporation. So I went there right out of college. I spent 17 years at Target, always in the merchandising spaces. So I started out in inventory planning. That's the team that gets to decide how much to buy and directionally what stores or how much volume is available in the different stores or for online fulfillment. I also did a fair amount of work in the inventory um, management space as well as financial analysis buying. So actually putting together an assortment, deciding what that assortment should be. And then about half of my time at Target, I spent in sourcing or owned owned brand private label sourcing. And that job was all about finding the perfect partners to make the perfect types of products. 
So who are our bedding vendors? Who's going to make our string lights, our Halloween costumes? Finding those vendors and then working with them to develop product and our design team, obviously to develop the right product at the right cost. So it's ultimately the right value for the consumer. And then part of my job that I absolutely loved was partnering not only with those vendors, but also our global sourcing team. And I'll be careful with my pronouns for (laughs) the target team has uh, sourcing partners throughout the world, sourcing team members throughout the world. And that was just a fantastic part of my job was getting to work with those partners and and vendor supplier teams uh, throughout the world to help bring really amazing products to the, the target guest. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So what types of retailers are working with JHL today? Because And you've been in business, by the way, I should point out, uh, for six and a half years. So congratulations uh, in the founding of your company. Thank you. It's it's been a lot of fun. (laughs) Uh, It has been a lot of fun. It definitely felt like a nice high water mark to clear that one, two year mark. And then when I hit five, I'm like, ah, got some pieces together here. Yeah. So, but, but the, take the, us through the uh, you know kind of the the list of clients types of clients that you've worked with um, because I think we all know someone that owns either a brick and mortar or you know a business that might make a good introduction for you. Oh, that's such a kind offer, and yes, I would absolutely appreciate a, a conversation of any kind on retail. To be quite honest, the the types of clients that I've been very fortunate to work with are ones such as Petco. I've worked with CVS. I've worked with a couple of uh, regional grocers, for example. So some of them might find on the East Coast, uh, both wholesale as well as direct-to-consumer, consumer-based retailers. Um, a really fun grocer down in Texas who I'm still working with, so I, I won't name them specifically. But those are the types of teams that I, I love to work with. Really mass and specialty, having grown up in a mass retail background, I found that the expertise that I build and the types of tools and resources that I put together and that that negotiations and partnership toolkit really lend themselves well to that type of scale and scope of work. But very sincerely happy to have retail conversations of, of any kind, should anyone from the audience be interested in chatting more. Yeah. And Julie, I know you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, what is it that you could likely do for a client that might be a little bit more challenging for them to do themselves? In other well, words, why would why do we need Julie? We could just do it. Why do we need Julie? <laughs> uh, the, what I have found, especially in the negotiating space, when you're taking a step back and thinking through what are the partnerships that I need to build and what type of value do I need to be able to offer? That is difficult work to be able to do for yourself. And I find even personally when I'm negotiating, whether it's on the price of a car or with my kids or my partner, um, I am not the mo- as effective as a negotiator as I am on behalf of someone else. And so when you've got someone that's a third party who can take a step back and actually take you through the building of the strategy and thinking about where your interests are and then how to really position your asks or your, your negotiating challenges and help you do that from an independent perspective, as opposed to that internal perspective that you have, you're often able to drive much more impactful results. And candidly, in retail, there are always a lot of very urgent and pressing things. And sometimes those partnerships and relationships get relegated to the the sphere of important, but not urgent. So they don't get the attention that they need. And as a consultant, I'm really able to help carve out space and approach 
and, and take you through the process of evaluating those partnerships and building and executing those negotiation strategies mm-hmm. uh, in a way that is more strategic, more, more speedy, and it goes faster and often delivers greater results. So those are the things that I usually lean to uh, when working with working with clients and, and helping them deliver some amazing results. Yeah. Um, what does, uh, like, and sounds like you have really good industry uh, reputation, pretty good network, but um, what do you do today to grow your own consultancy? A lot of my marketing efforts are focused in conversations like these, to be perfectly candid. Uh, I don't have my own podcast. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't have my own podcast, but I've absolutely fall in love with the idea of having conversations uh, with audiences that are excited to learn more about retail, about partnerships, and then also within supply chain, that that sourcing partnership and deepening those sourcing partnerships. And I also uh, work pretty closely with a few different uh, industry groups. So whether that's helping them organize events, presenting, facilitating at those events, really just to help get the message out of that I feel is incredibly important about how to deepen supplier partnerships and how to really be able to drive value overall. And the the third topic, just to to touch on one more that I support my clients with is helping to build more uh, circular or zero waste products and supply chains. So really helping suppliers uh, show up as as the partners they need to be with their retailers to help bring those sustainability goals to life. Yeah. If you kind of think through negotiating and partnerships, that's sort of my my painkiller approach. So how to think about what what's the pain I'm solving. And on the sustainability side, that's a little bit more for the, the vitamin, I think I've heard you say. So it's more of like helping. So there's two parts of my business that I like to talk about. Often the very urgent and painful one is our costs are going up and we need help negotiating. And then after that, sometimes we're able to get to the sustainability piece. So how do I show up as a better partner for the environment where my products are made and sold and used, which is also a lot of fun. What trends, Julie, are you most excited about uh, in retail? Um, you know, I, I think that, and, and I'd also love if you could maybe couch this in maybe this fear that online is just going to cannibalize every bit of in-store retail. Um, I, I don't think that's the case, but I would love your take on that. There are a lot of fun pieces to pull apart there. Uh I'll start with the last piece that you focused on. The the online is going to be taking over the the in-store experience. And I think as we navigated that post-COVID, that immediate post-COVID response, we saw an acceleration of a lot of different trends. And that's true, not just in retail. But as we're hitting a couple of years out now, we're starting to see that for the most part, where the the consumption rates are or the penetration rates across a variety of industries is pretty much where we would have been if we had stayed on that straight same through line pre-COVID. Wow. So it, basically it's, it's right size. So the penetration, while it did swing rapidly uh, yes. for in-store versus online sales because stores were closed, uh, it, it is it's normalized to basically where it was. And there are certain businesses that are continuing to see more accelerated growth, like groceries, an example, where grocery was just having a tough time getting, whether it was online shipments or buy online pickups and store trends. That was just some, one of the last parts of retail that was really embracing that more uh, systemized approach or that that moving away from the in-person shopping experience, that would probably be a gap where you're seeing slightly accelerated trends for online shopping versus in-person. 
but for the rest of the industry, it's it's pretty much where we, we would have expected it to be. What it is important is to say what from a consumer perspective per, that the expectations have changed. So if someone is going to go into a store now, their expectation is that it is much more of an experience. So yes, you might be running in really quickly on your way home to grab your milk or eggs or something that you need for your for dinner or uh, like a swimsuit that someone needs for a swim meet the next day, things like that. There's still the drop-in, but mostly now, if you're thinking of going to a store, you're setting aside time. It's an experience. You want the store to be well-organized and really over-deliver on your expectations. Because if, if you just need something super basic and super commoditized, that you can get anywhere. You can do a quick online shop and find out who's got the best price and who's going to get it to you in the next two or three days and, and just buy it. So that's where I see the biggest distinction now and into the the broader question that you asked, like some of the trends in retail, I think retailers that are doing well now are being very thoughtful in that in-store experience and showing up and over-delivering. And the online experience is also very straightforward, very streamlined. There's creative uses of AI for fit technology or shipment tracking. So not to say that that the online business is in in any ways lacking, that's also being elevated. But the groups that are thinking about experience of where our customers are showing up and what their expectations are and how do we really delight them and exceed those expectations, those are the retailers that have uh, still fairly healthy business as we navigate even some fairly uncertain economic times. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of given some of the trends and some of the um, very notable closures that we have seen, Mm -hmm. I think that if anything you know, it just, it it stresses to retailers of all stripes that um, you can't rest on your laurels today. You need to keep innovating because quite frankly, consumers demand it. Absolutely. And while we are seeing a lot of closures, my favorite statistic to listen to when I hear some of those retail apocalypse type conversations is (laughs) with all the stores that are closing, how many are opening? And sometimes it's it's definitely going to be a bit of a lagging indicator, but there's a lot of places like when Med Bath & Beyond starts to close and give up some of their leases, a lot of those leases got picked up by retailers that were excited to either move out of the DTC only space and get a really great deal on a lease. And they were looking to expand their physical footprint in a way that they might not have been able to before. Yeah. Our our local one that was closing in the very same breath, Med Bath & Beyond's going out, home goods coming in. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you're seeing that across the country. Yeah. This is exciting. Julie, I I really, you know, probably geek out on this conversation. I I didn't even share with you kind of my background for 15, 16 years. I've studied and led on consumer behavior, specializing in, you know, kind of the particularly around grocery and and that sort of thing. So that's my savings angel persona. So uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed our conversation. But Julie, I want to make sure that um, folks listening to our conversation, or maybe that, you know, they did some research on you. They found this podcast. Now they've listened to our conversation. What are the next steps uh, in, in terms of like, do, do Can they have a conversation with you? How do you typically work with new people in your world? I love meeting new people in all different ways. So I would say the most informal way, certainly feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. You'll see my my spelling of my name in the, in the podcast notes, I'm sure, but I'm the only Julie, J-U-L-I, Lasso, L-A-S-S-O-W on LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out to me there. I am active connector on LinkedIn. I share a lot of industry trends on sourcing, on own brands, on sustainability and the circular economy. So you can get a little bit of a sense of what I'm watching and what I'm seeing as emerging trends. 
But if you go to my website and you are also thoughtful enough to tee that up for me as well. So that's jhl-solutions. You can see a little bit more detail on the service offerings that I have. So the way that I show up and support matrix building, sourcing negotiations and the circular economy. Uh, there's a little bit more information on each of those. And then there is a helpful little button to click if you're interested in having a conversation to have a better understand if, if there's some support that would be helpful for you and if it might make sense for us to work together. Yeah. Julie Lasso, again, your website, jhl-solutions.com. You're the, uh, the founder and principal. Julie, it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Josh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. If you're a listener, I'd love to shout out your business to our whole audience for free. You can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or join our listener Facebook group. Just search for The Thoughtful Entrepreneur in Facebook. I'd love even if you just stopped by to say hi. I'd love to meet you. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. We love our community who listens and shares our program every day. Together, we are empowering one another as thoughtful entrepreneurs. Hit subscribe so that tomorrow morning, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. I promise to bring positivity and inspiration to you for around 15 minutes each day. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement.